Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 239 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jason Rossoff about radical candor, how it helps with management, and how it plays into team building and working with clients. Today's podcast is brought to you by FirmVO, Text Expander, Ruby Receptionists, and Podium. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Last week, we pre-announced that we (laughs) are in the process of publishing a new book, our definitive guide to the future of small firm law practice called The Small Firm Roadmap. The book launches on Tuesday, September 10th. So it's not quite time to get it into your hands yet, but keep it on your radar for sure. Today, we did, though, publish a new post on the site about the best business books for managing your law firm. We gave ourselves a shout out because we are certain that our new book is one of them, but also recommended a number of other books, including Radical Candor, that we think are relevant to law firms trying to navigate how to run their practices like businesses and the future that's coming, etc. We're really excited about the launch of our new book. And also wanted to mention that Sam and Stephanie will be at ClioCon in San Diego in October if you want to get some books signed. Or as some have mentioned, I'll be happy to Sharpie your Kindle as well. Yes. <laughs> get like a silver paint pen right over the cover, yep, right absolutely. on the screen yep. of the Kindle. Perfect. I will totally do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll be at ClioCon hanging out and checking out the sessions. And we'd be happy to autograph your book if that's a thing that you want. Totally. Um, for sure. And you'll have time to get your book and bring it along if you like. So check that out too. And even better, if you are thinking of going to ClioCon, right. we've negotiated a lawyerist discount for ClioCon tickets. So if you, as you're registering for ClioCon, if you want to mention the lawyerist discount, you can get some money off of your attendance this year. People ask me periodically if it's worth going to ClioCon. Here's the deal. If you are a Clio user, it is a no-brainer. Of course you should go. The ticket doesn't even come close to covering, I don't think, the cost of what Clio pays to have you there, which you should interpret as you're going to have a really great time. They put on good parties. They put on great sessions. They bring in amazing speakers. If you aren't a Clio user, it's still worth considering. There is a Clio track that is mostly useful to Clio users, but the business of law track and the other sessions that you can encounter there, the vendors, the events, none of those are specific to Clio users. And I think you'll have a great time and you'll learn a lot. It's worth considering anyway. And I'm not a Clio user, obviously, but I love going. So check it out. Use the coupon. Bring your book. We'd love to see you there. Do you think someone might listen to this and bring a Sharpie for you to sign the screen of their Kindle? I don't know. But if somebody does, I will totally do like that. If we had mil- I'll draw a picture. If we had millions of listeners, for sure someone would do yes. that. The fact that we have many, many thousands of listeners makes it an Decent open question chance. in my mind. I'll draw a picture. Okay. If I get a chance to draw on a Kindle, I'll try and make it worthwhile. Because like signing the back of a Kindle would still be cool and wouldn't ruin anything for anyone. Yeah. I think we should make it happen. All right. First come, first served. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Aaron Poznanski from FirmVO and then my conversation with Jason. 
Hey, I'm Aaron Pazansky. I'm the CEO and founder of FirmVO. We offer virtual offices and deposition rooms and meeting rooms and conference rooms nationally, strictly to attorneys. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for being with us today. So how can lawyers take advantage of virtual offices? Give me your top three. Absolutely. So flexibility is a big one. Attorneys are looking to kind of practice in a more flexible, easygoing way. We also have work-life balance. That's a very big part of it. Uh, Attorneys that are looking to kind of be able to work from home sometimes and still have a base. And then there's cost savings. You know, rent can be really expensive. So if attorneys are looking to save money on the real estate side, virtual officing is a great way to kind of balance out that cost. You said flexibility. I'm curious, do you find that lawyers who have an existing office are still interested in a virtual office? for, say, satellite offices or just meeting their clients in more locations? Yeah, great question. Absolutely. There are many attorneys that are suburban-based that, you know, have actual office spaces but do want to have a presence in the, you know, the downtown central business district. There are attorneys that are multi-state-based and they want to have spaces in multiple locations. So really, there are really plenty of attorneys who actually have office space but still have a need for a virtual office. And when you say virtual office, do you mean a brick-and-mortar location that I can come in and meet with people in and work in? Absolutely, yeah. So we have full-service deposition rooms. We have some office space, desks that you can use. Everything is actually managed on a cloud-based technology. So you can actually receive your mail in the office. And then you're able to go online, view your mail, and forward it as you need it. You can also manage your phones on the technology platform. So virtual office is a hybrid of a brick-and-mortar space as well as technology to practice wherever you are. So I can work from home on days I don't want to come in, and then I can come in and be a professional in a professional space when I need it and meet with people there. Yeah, you always have that option. So you can go three months of working from home or working out of your suburban-based office, and you can come in one day a month to the local office. So it's really up to you uh, how you want to flexibly use a virtual and satellite office space. So Aaron, when it comes to Firm VO, what are the states that you're offering virtual offices in now and what's coming up soon? Absolutely. Great question. We're currently, I have a large presence in California. We're coming to San Francisco. We've been in downtown LA, Beverly Hills. Palo Alto. We're actually on the New York side. We're in downtown Manhattan. We're opening up in Midtown. We have locations in D.C., Boston, and we're expanding into Arizona. So we're uh, moving along, and hopefully this year we plan to be in 20 total states. Very cool. If you'd like to learn more about virtual offices and, this is pretty awesome, get three free months with FirmVO, you can go to firmvo.com slash lawyerist. That's firmvo.com slash lawyerist. And if you go there, you'll be eligible to get three free months of virtual office. Thanks so much, Aaron. Thanks so much, Sam. Hi, my name is Jason Rosoff. I'm the CEO of Radical Candor, and I'm really excited to be here today to chat with you all about how the idea of Radical Candor might help you build stronger relationships with teams and through those relationships get really amazing things done together. Excited to be here. Hey, Jason, I'm so glad to have you here, actually. I don't know if we've covered this, but we have been giving out copies of Radical Candor at our conferences on and off for the last few years. So I hope many of our readers and listeners will be familiar with it. That's awesome. It's a really good book. (laughs) (laughs) He says as if he's not biased. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'll back you up on that. We wouldn't be buying it in bulk and handing it out if it weren't the case. To some extent, the title suggests itself, but I think it would be best to start by explaining the core of what Radical Candor is and isn't. Maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah, so I I think one way to in might be to think about Radical Candor as a sort of like guidepost, if you will, a, a way to think about how we approach 
our conversations with one another. And through that, it can help you actually start to understand the different ways in which we maybe approach those conversations without bringing sort of our best self forward. So what Radical Candor is really about is about being clear and kind with one another. If you see the cover of the book or you read anything about it, you'll see the words um, care personally and challenge directly. And so the idea is a relatively simple one. It's just really hard to execute because I think we can all think of situations, especially when the stakes are kind of high or emotions are running high where we find it really hard to do both of those things at the same time, right? Be really clear but also be really genuinely caring about the other person. And so Radical Candor is meant to provide you a practical guide to how to think about your behavior. And maybe most importantly, something that rarely happens, how to think about improving your approach to those conversations. And so when Kim Scott in the book talks about the environment in which radical candor can happen, I think is how you put it on one of our prep calls, mm -hmm. you can't just come out and be critical because that comes across as very aggressive. Yep. But you also have to be critical or you aren't being candid. And so you have to start by creating that environment. What does that take? So I think for a lot of people, they hear the words radical candor and they immediately think of... Be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They immediately think of, of what they want to say. But the mm -hmm. way that we've come to understand radical candor is that it really actually starts with you, with self-reflection, right? With the awareness that we are bringing something to this conversation and what we bring to this conversation, like our sort of biases, expectations, attitudes about various things, like all of that winds up having a deep impact on how the conversation goes. And so radical candor could easily be, you know, seen as like, say whatever you want at any cost kind of mm -hmm. a thing. But it's absolutely our intention that radical candor instead is understood to start with self-awareness. Like if we're not aware of how we're perceived, it's really, really easy for us to kind of like go off the rails in our approach uh, to someone else. Mm -hmm. We're like very, very keen on the idea that radical candor really does start with you. And uh, as a result, our order of operations is actually solicit feedback first. Like if you want to build an environment in which radical candor is more likely to happen, you need to start by understanding how people see you. I guess you're starting by inviting people to be radically candid with you so that you can show how to behave when that happens, right? Sort of like modeling good behavior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's just important to recognize that for a lot of people, they may have never had a candid feedback conversation sort of in their lives. Like that's not a thing that most people have experienced. And so I think being sensitive to that fact is really valuable. And so this idea of modeling this good behavior is a great place to start. And then step two is still not criticize somebody else. <laughs> when do, wait, when do we get to the criticism? I can hear the listeners. <laughs> yeah, step two is to offer praise, is to recognize the good stuff. In most organizations, I like to say there's more going right than there is going wrong. Mm -hmm. And so if the only time we have a conversation about performance is when it's going poorly, you're going to get some, I think, very justified resistance <laughs> to those conversations. Mm -hmm. We want to be really sort of mindful, really aware that we have an opportunity but also sort of an obligation to recognize people for the good work that they're doing. And then do we get to the criticism? Yeah, then we get, <laughs> now we're there. Now we've arrived at the thing that I think most people think sort of most clearly about when they think of radical candor, which is 
offering clear and kind feedback about performance. So, yep, now we're there. And so the idea is like, I'm trying to help you be a better employee through criticism. And so I need you to hear this and hear my intentions along with it, not just you're bad and you're being bad. Correct. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. In reading the book, it comes across as a management tool. But when I brought that up with you, you said, hold on, the core of radical candor doesn't have anything to do with getting good work. So I want to get this concrete for a minute, because one of the main complaints or frustrations or issues, problems that I hear from small firm lawyers is, you know, this employee just isn't doing the work that I need them to do. I'm not getting the work product I need. They're not paying attention to the details whatever. And I pose that to you as what is the role that radical candor can play there? And you were like, hold on, that's not the whole thing. So bring me up to speed on that. And what is the role that radical candor can play in getting your employees to do what you want them to do? Yeah. So I think a good way to think about that is that radical candor, like the idea itself is not all that, it's not all that specific to work, right? So again, if the words of the framework are care personally and challenge directly, mm -hmm. right? I don't think we only want that at work, right? right. I, I think in some ways, Kim has said this many times, in some ways you could relabel those axes, love and truth. Mm -hmm. And there is not a culture on earth that doesn't value love and truth. And so I think we need to be very aware that radical candor, when it's really deeply applied, is more like a way of being in the world. And it's a way of treating other people with kindness and respect. And I think the tension that arises for a lot of people is that they don't associate sort of the challenge part with showing respect and kindness to somebody else. But, and this is where it ties back to work, but when someone works for you and you have expectations or there are things that they need to do in order to be successful in their role, it is absolutely the kind thing to do to help them understand where they could be doing better. Mm -hmm. In the same way that if someone in your personal life is doing something maybe unintentionally that's hurtful to other people, like it's not kind to allow them to continue to do that, right? It's not kind to the person that they're hurting. It's also not kind to them because our assumption is in most cases, people are really unaware of the things that they're doing that are having a negative impact on those around them. And so uh, we see it more as like a sort of moral obligation, if you will, to the people who we really care about. And so if we're going to say that, you know, we care deeply about the team that we've hired and the people that we work with, then I think that is the place out of which radical candor grows. It's not so much about getting good results, although that is a really, really well understood side effect. In fact, mm -hmm. something like 70% of employee engagement in organizations is actually, it can be directly attributed to the skill of a manager in helping that person navigate their career. I was thinking about one of the examples that I read, which is, you know, like, let's say there's a graphic design project and your team delivers a really terrible work product. One approach would be to just be frustrated and then fix it in which case your yeah. team is going to be, they're going to feel undermined and like you didn't trust them. And another approach is to tell them it's just terrible, yeah. um, in which case they're going to be hurt and you might not get good. Or if you've created an environment in which radical candor can happen, you can actually address the problem and get better work product and create a healthier working environment at the same time. Absolutely. Have I oversimplified that beyond usefulness? <laughs> no, no. I think that's a wonderful simplification. I think the one thing I want to recognize is that, and the reason why radical candor sort of transcends just getting good work results is that it's fundamentally about human stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we under attribute the fact that we come to work uh, as like whole human beings who have had things happen to them, even on the way into work. Like maybe there's terrible traffic 
or maybe your kid puked all over the place this morning. Like things happen to us mm-hmm. that deeply affect our ability to perform tasks that we would even normally be good at. And so this idea of approaching each of these situations with kindness and humility, but being very clear about what you see as the issue, I think like in practice, it winds up feeling much less like a, a work muscle that you're flexing and much more like a, a human muscle. This feels like a lot of emotional intelligence is required. Yeah, I think there is a fair amount uh, required but it's also something that I think you can learn along Mm -hmm. the way. We've had people who've come to our workshops or uh, Kim's talks come up to us afterwards and say like, you know, radical candor completely transformed my relationship with my children. Or if I had read radical candor five years ago, I wouldn't be divorced. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of people, especially given the context in which it's written, which is really about work and how to get better performance from your team or build better relationships and through that get better performance from your team. In some ways, it's one of the most practical introductions to emotional intelligence. I think for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, they have not had seen that talked about in a way that made sense to them or made it feel like it was for them. And for a lot of business leaders who I've worked with over the last two years, what I've heard is like, this is one of the only things that actually made sense to me when it came to why I needed to be more aware of how the people, like the humans on my team were doing, not just how the work was getting done. We need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to keep talking about this and maybe pivot to talking about, okay, so how do you know when it's time to terminate somebody? So let's talk about that when we come back. Drip, drip, drip. Hear that? It's your office's online reviews. Kind of slow, huh? Not exactly the gush of praise you were hoping for when you set up your account on that review site. But why? After all, your best clients love you. They say it all the time, just not online. And that's too bad. Because your word may be your bond, but your client's words, well, they're your best sales tool. And these days, a star rating can make the difference between very interested and running for the hills. Podium knows how important reviews are to your law office. That's why they built a great online review platform, making it simpler than ever to get a five-star rating you know you deserve. Businesses see an average 6% increase in revenue from reviews thanks to Podium. More than just a friendly reminder, Podium sends clients straight to the review sites you care about most with built-in analytics to monitor your progress towards meeting your next goal. So you could keep waiting for reviews to drip in, or you could open the floodgates with Podium. Just visit podium.com slash lawyerist to save 10% when you sign up. That's podium.com slash lawyerist to get started and save 10%. Podium, become the number one law office online. Unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Easily insert text snippets in any application from a library of content created by you and your team while reducing errors. You can save so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com podcast to learn more about Text Expander. There's more to answering a phone call than just pronouncing your name correctly. And I think that's what sets Ruby apart from all the other receptionist services out there. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people who work at Ruby, and from top to bottom, it's full of the kind of people you'd love to spend time with. I guess it's something in the coffee they serve. And after all, when someone calls your firm, that means they are going to be spending time with your receptionist. You may think you get to make a first impression when you pick up the phone, but that's not how it works. Maybe your receptionist is just on the call for a minute or two, but that's all it takes to form a first impression. So it's a good idea to make sure your receptionist is the kind of person you'd want your callers to spend time with. It could be the difference between a big case and a big fail. Don't worry, Ruby can handle pronouncing your name right. They'll also help you make a great first impression. And now Ruby can even help you connect with clients right on your website with 24-7 live online chat. You can find out more about Ruby receptionists and how to make a great first impression at callruby.com slash lawyeristpod. 
Okay, we're back. So Jason, one of the core things here is that radical candor will help create an environment in which you can have better relationships with your employees and which you can expect better work product, even if that isn't the core purpose of it. But also one of the core things is, look, sometimes you got to fire people. Sometimes you can help them be the best employee they can be, but that might not be the right person for your firm. How do you know when it's time to do that? What I try to do, uh, what I've coached myself to do is make sure we're not in what I call a, a fire the manager moment. Mm-hmm. So when I think about terminating an employee, letting someone go from a team that's I'm responsible for, what I'm looking for is, have I made the effort? Have I been clear with this person about what the issue is? And have I given them an opportunity to actually correct? And if I am at all uncertain that I have done that in as clear a way as possible, which from my perspective is the most kind thing you can do. If you're considering terminating someone and you don't, you're unsure if you have been really clear with them, like the kindest thing you can do in that moment is make sure it's really clear to them. And how do you do that? So I would go back to them and actually say like, hey, here, I might, because usually the situation looks something like we've been having conversations about work performance for months. I'm not really seeing anything improve. I'm not sure why I'm not seeing anything improve. Uh, and I'm getting really frustrated. And so now I want to fire somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually would admit that. Like I would start by, and this is the place where like saying what you mean, this is what Kim means when she says that, which is to actually admit what's going on in your head, which is like, look, I'm feeling really frustrated. I feel like we've been having conversations about this for months. I'm not really seeing the change that I would expect. And I just don't understand why. Like, I don't understand why this is happening. And I want to try to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where I would start. And I I think it's very vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable thing to do. A lot of people make them feel very uncomfortable because you're sort of admitting that I have been ineffective, right? Yeah. Like, I have not, I've not gotten it done (laughs) over the last couple of months. But in many cases, what I found is when I coach people to do that, what they discover is they have not actually been clear. Like, the person has been trying to do something, but it could be 90 or 180 degrees different than what the manager thought they were asking the employee to do. Or they really misunderstood the severity because often when we are in a situation like this, we'll try to sugarcoat things or we'll, you know, we'll give someone the feedback sandwich, right? Which is where we say something nice about them and (laughs) then we say something like really critical and then we say something nice about them again. And for a lot of people, it's like very easy to misinterpret. So that's where I would start. I would start by actually taking an inventory of like, where are we in understanding this? So kind of like, here's what I think I've been telling you. Is that what you've been understanding? Yeah. Because if so, now why aren't things changing? Because I I feel like we've talked about this and I feel like I've been clear that I need this to change and that's been going on for a while now. What's still getting in the way? Why aren't things improving? Is that kind of the nature of the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think some people out there like will have the experience of going to the conversation and what they'll discover is they've been totally clear Mm -hmm. uh, that the person completely understands. Okay, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I think at that point, someone in a a workshop recently said, like, at that point, you you sort of switch tacks from um, from coaching, which is like the effort to get Mm -hmm. better performance to counseling. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other reasons why we we're not good about having these conversations in a clear way is because we feel like the worst thing that could possibly happen is to fire somebody. Like that's the worst thing that could happen to them, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just not. And in many cases we have the ability because it's probably the case that that person is not, well, it is definitely the case that that person has a lot to offer the world. It's just, they're not right for the particular role that they're in. And so there's right. lots that you can do as a manager in that moment to help sort of that person find footing for their next step on the path. And that might be introducing them to people in your network who do very different things where you feel like they might be a better fit for the role. It might be acting as a reference as they go out and interview. 
Um, it might be reviewing their resume or doing other things. So there's lots that we can do. It doesn't have to be the case that you feel like, oh, we're going to have a conversation where I'm going to tell you that you're terminated. And at that point, that is also the end of our relationship. I have fired people uh, over the course of my career with whom I continue to have good relationships. And I've, I've helped them in many cases find roles in other organizations where they've thrived. So I just want to say that like it's possible for the conversation. Yeah, I mean, people might not thank you in the moment, but... Oh, yeah. It's a no fun conversation for <laughs> right. sure. Although I think it helps if it's happened a few times, like we've had that experience of coming to the conclusion, like this just isn't working and it's probably not your fault. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It might not even be our fault. It's just not a good fit. And it, it seems like it's time for you to move on. And then a few months later, you see them again and you're like, nope, that was right. Like they are thriving in what they've chosen to do next. Yep. And I'm really glad that we didn't continue to hold them back by keeping them with us. They may not thank me for it or they may not thank us for it, but I, I have more confidence now that we've been through that a few times that I think it would be easier going forward to come to that conclusion. But although it's always going to be kind of hard. Yeah, so. I, I think when you when you really care about your team, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners care very deeply about the people who work with them. Mm hmm. I think it can feel, it can feel like the worst thing in the world. And I just want to recognize that it sucks. Like it is not fun. But right. at the same time, like you have a responsibility to your other team members, if you have them to your clients to make sure that the work that is getting done is being done to the level of uh, quality that is necessary to support the team or to support the clients in the way that they expect. And I've definitely had situations where I waited way too long to let somebody go. And it not only affected the work output and it was a huge time suck for me, but it also uh, affected both the morale and the output of the rest of the team because they were busy cleaning mm -hmm. up after that person in, in many cases, right. or they were just pissed at me for not actually having the guts to have that tough conversation with the person and feeling like what point is there in having in like me working really hard if I know that I see someone under so clearly underperforming and nothing is happening to them, Right. So like right. it actually it very quickly drives down, has a sorry toxic effect where it drives down performance. And, and it, we don't, we often underestimate the cost of those things and overestimate the, the cost of the, the emotional cost of like having the, the tough conversation. So it feels like radical candor is the first piece of it where you're creating an environment in which it can happen is not an artificial thing, right? You can't, you can't put on the act of caring for other people, you actually have to just make that a thing that you do. And I guess that goes into the whole idea of bringing your whole self to work or potentially if you're, if you start out by thinking about radical candor as a manager, maybe bring your whole self back home mm -hmm. and using it <laughs> and being, doing that sort of thing at home too. I'm curious about your thoughts on how we might think about radical candor in the attorney client relationship or the vendor customer relationship, right? Where we're trying to have better communications with someone who we do care about if for no other reason than that they're paying us a great deal of money for yep. them, even if it might not be for us, but like they've invested in us and we want that relationship to go smoothly. And sometimes we have to deliver painful or bad news. Yeah, this is really, really interesting. I, I think there's a strong parallel here uh, between the power dynamics. Uh, these, what I'm about to say also applies in many ways to the relationship uh, radical candor with your boss, because mm -hmm. right? in, in a client oh, sure. driven, yeah, I, I think like the the relationship is like we're dependent on these clients for revenue. We are very worried about uh, upsetting them because for many reasons, like revenue is certainly one of them, but also like if we upset our client or our boss, like it's going to be very hard to get productive work done, even if they stay. Right. 
like it, it can be, make the relationship very challenging. And the way that I, I typically think about it is it's often best here, again, to like lean into uh, trying, seeking to understand first before you try to go and offer someone you know, a piece of critical feedback, mm-hmm. whether it's your boss or your client. I think sometimes starting out by saying on the gentle side of challenge directly. So this does not mean mince words. It, it means, you know, maybe you don't have to beat them over the head. And let me give a concrete example. So you could imagine that there's a, you have a, a client who every time they come to a meeting with you where you're discussing something important, they, there's like a million other things going on. They're like super distracted. Mm-hmm. And it's, essentially impossible to make any sort of like meaningful progress over the course of an hour, which is like really all the time that you have to give them because you have other clients that you're worried about as well. And, and so like decisions drag out. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be really material, right? It might affect some strategy that you're putting into place and your ability to get a yes or no is going to mean the difference between uh, this project taking two weeks and this project taking six or eight or 12 weeks. Part of like, I, I think again, radical candor is like some people might say like, Oh, what you really need to do is you need to walk in there and be like, Oh, you can't be this distracted in meetings anymore. Right? Or like it completely prevents us from making decisions. And as a result, like all these things drag out forever. And I think the, the reason why we want to be thoughtful about that is again, like if we started the assumption, the other person is not necessarily aware of how their behavior is impacting things. A gentler way to have that same conversation would be to start by saying, hey, I've noticed that during a lot of our conversations, you seem to have a lot of other stuff going on. And I'm worried that it is actually holding us back from being able to make decisions at the pace that best serves you as our client. Mm -hmm. Are you experiencing the same thing? Do you feel the same way about it? Those kinds of questions I think are really useful because if they are experiencing the same thing, then you could start to shift to troubleshooting, right? If they do understand that the problem exists, then you can start to shift to troubleshooting. But if they're not experiencing the same thing, like my next question would be like, why do you think you see this so differently? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you feel like I'm experiencing this so differently <laughs> than you? Like, I'm very curious to understand because I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I can as your attorney to move this, to move the work forward as like quickly with as high level quality as possible. And, you know, I'm, I'm struggling in this environment to feel like I'm doing that. But if you feel like I'm, it's going great, like, that's good. Maybe I need to adjust my expectations, right? Maybe they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. So kind of like aligning yourself first, seeing if you're on the same page. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the same thing applies with a manager, right? Like just replace client with manager and imagine a manager in a meeting that's really important to you, but they're like super distracted and doing a million other things. Like I would approach it the same exact way, which is like seek to understand. And this approach is like in general is the way that we, uh, when we think about like the, the nuts and bolts of giving feedback, a lot of the time we're, we're recommending like, don't assume you know the answer to the question when you walk in. Don't assume you know right. why something is happening. Start with curiosity. And as you start to see, get a better understanding of where they're coming from, like then you can move on to, uh, use that for alignment and then you can move on to sharing ideas of how to make things better. An example of this that comes to mind is, you know, one of my frustrations in dealing with clients was when they would leave out an important fact. Mm. And I'm thinking about this and I really like the approach of not assuming that they did it on purpose, right? Like mm-hmm. it's possible that trust is the problem here, or it's possible yeah. that they thought they were smarter than me and could hide it and get away with something and that they don't know that I need to know all the facts in order to construct a good defense for them or a good or a good argument for them. Yeah. But it's also possible that they didn't understand that it was an important fact, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of depends on what it is and what the situation is. But if I come in saying, look, 
this is something that changes the entire case and it changes the entire way I need to think about it. I have to understand why this didn't come up before. So what was going on there? Why didn't this come up is different than just going after him for not telling me this important thing that I needed to know. It seems like a fundamentally different way to approach that. Yeah. And I think like the elephant in the room here is like, sometimes you're going to be justified, like your annoyance with me is totally justified. Mm -hmm. But the question in my mind is always like, what is my goal here really in this conversation or in this relationship? Like, what is my goal? Mm -hmm. You know, like your goal is to construct the best defense or the best argument possible for the client so that you can get the best result possible. And if that is your goal, then uh, accusing somebody and you know <laughs> having a coin, a, a coin flip uh, rate of being absolutely like right or wrong, uh, right, uh, about like whether your presumption was correct, that seems like, you know, not necessarily the most, uh, the approach not best aligned mm -hmm. with that goal. And so in many ways, I think, taking a step back and saying like, what am I really trying to accomplish? Cause like a lot of the time when you're giving feedback to a, a manager, the same thing, which is like, I really want a good relationship with this person. Like I need a good relationship with this person to be successful, but it's also important to me that they understand how what they're doing is impacting my work or my ability to get work done or whatever right. it is. And the question is like, what is the approach that's most likely to help me move that conversation forward? And like, honestly, the same advice applies to kids. Like the, there's all this research that basically says like telling kids what to do, like it doesn't work. Like <laughs> telling them like, the, like, right. The same guidance applies, which is when we show genuine interest in somebody else by trying to understand where they're coming from, um, that allows us to move up on care personally, which gives us some cushion while we're questioning the actual thing that is bothering us. So we're already in challenge directly and it gives us the leeway to like move towards resolution. And sometimes even that uh, gives us the ability to be more clear, uh, gives us some license to be more clear because they know that we are actually genuinely interested in a positive outcome for both of us. This is not just me, mm -hmm. you know, solving my own problem. This is like us solving a problem together. So besides reading the book, which people should do, I think this is actually an important book for people to read. The link will be in the show notes. But besides reading the book, what can we give people as a takeaway here for kind of their next steps if they want to start employing radical candor? What's something they can start doing immediately to move towards that while they're while they're getting the book and waiting for it to arrive? Sure. So I would say that there's literally nothing stopping people, especially if you're a manager or a leader, but even if you're a an individual contributor, an employee in a firm, there's nothing to stop you from soliciting feedback. Mm. One of the best ways to encourage these kinds of conversations is to not force someone to feel like they have to do it out of the blue. In fact, they've done fMRI studies of our brains. And when we ask for feedback, we make our amygdala, which is like a largely responsible for a lot of fear response, uh, we make it less reactive mm. uh, to negative stimulus. Uh, so like by doing that, we're making, we're putting ourselves in a better position to receive it. We're also putting the other person to some degree at ease with offering it. And so there's, uh, I can send you uh, or make sure in your show notes that we link, we have a great blog post about that, which kind of takes people step by step yeah. through like, how do you do this? But that's actually where I would recommend most people start is like take the time to actually get some input because one of the best things we can do 
when it comes to development is you're a manager, you're modeling good behavior, but you're also getting better at your job, right? Because like everybody, I think the only people reason people are listening to this podcast is because they actually care about being good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're creating the environment, but also you're doing a thing which is like selfish in a good way, which is trying to understand how you can be doing better. Cool. And if you're a team member, like don't wait for other people to give you feedback. <laughs> like think about the things that you're trying to get better at and ask people for feedback about those. Very cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about Radical Candor. We'll obviously include some links in the show notes. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, I'm excited to hear how your community takes advantage of this practice and super excited to think that there are going to be more attorneys and folks at law firms who are, are being clear and kind with each other and with their clients. That's awesome. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, oh, oh.